Okay, so Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is Peter talking. He says, fellow Israelites, listen up to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, he's going into the Old Testament now, he's talking to Jews, and so he's pulling in David. He says, David, your forefather, says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. He's quoting Psalms. I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the path of life to me. You fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently tell you that David, our forefather, he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades. That's basically, he's talking about the grave. Um, that's a Jewish word for when people die, they went to Hades, which was the, basically they thought of it as like the underworld, the grave. And his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Remember, in that moment, these people are looking at this huge crowd of Christians. It was about 120 Christians, and they're all speaking in tongues and other languages. So what Peter is saying to this crowd of thousands of people is he's like, look at like the things that you're seeing, the things that you're hearing, these Christians who are filled with the Spirit, this is real, and it's because of Jesus. Um, it says in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus. We are witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who went into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So then in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. It cut them deep into their heart. And they, they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt and wicked generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this chapter. We thank you for your word, and I just pray, God, now as I preach through this, that you would speak that your spirit would show up and God, that you would be the one speaking directly into hearts, saying exactly what we need to hear. God, you're the one through your spirit who gives us the ability to open up our mouths and speak and miraculously your spirit opens up our ears to understand what you have to say, God. We thank you for that gift. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to share this message. 
I pray, God, that you'd bless it. I pray you'd be with us. In your name, amen. So I was praying about this message and praying about what to talk about tonight. And um, something kind of struck me thinking about it, and it's the reality that we live in a post-Christian age. Does anybody know what that means, post-Christian? Anybody? What's that? Catholic? After. So yeah, yeah, it's like after Christian. The idea is basically like at one time in our country's history, a lot more people would say that they were Christians. We live in an age where being a Christian isn't exactly seen as popular. Many of you guys go to schools where you feel like you're the only Christian there. I actually have talked to some people in this group who go to Christian schools and they feel like they're the only Christian there. Or maybe their group of friends, they feel like, man, we're the only people really following Jesus here. I went to a Christian school growing up, and I remember, this is back in, you know, 2007, and then before that, the coolest kid at the Christian school was always the person who seemed to follow Jesus the least. That's just how it was. At a Christian school, the person who basically talked about Jesus the least and and didn't really show any sort of passion for the Lord was considered, oh man, that guy knows what's up. Because when you're at a Christian school and you're following Jesus for some reason that makes you a dork, I don't know, but that's how we all thought when I went to school. But you know what? In this age, we have a responsibility. If you're a follower of Jesus here, we have a responsibility, and I know a lot of us don't like that word, myself included, but we have a responsibility to actually follow Jesus and do what he says. And what does he say? He says, preach the gospel. Um, One of my favorite songs is probably one of the most convicting worship songs I've ever heard. Um, I don't really see a lot of worship leaders nowadays writing convicting worship songs, but there was a guy who was my age when he died, Keith Green, Um, died in a plane crash um, on his ranch, but he was this musician in the 70s. He was just on fire for the Lord, and he wrote this song called Asleep in the Light, and I quote it to you guys many times, but I just want to get it in your heads. It goes, do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. How can we be so dead when we've been so well fed? And then he says, the world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. And I I really, honestly, in my time as a youth pastor, I feel that, like that asleep in the light thing, it, it really relates to like the biggest enemy that we have in church, which is apathy. Apathy is something that is basically defined as not caring, um, When I was growing up and my mom would say, take out the trash, like I was apathetic about it. I didn't care about the trash. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, it's imperative that I take out this trash for the good of my family. I was like, I don't want to do this. In the same way in our faith, a lot of times we can be apathetic. And I've been fighting that, honestly, since I was the middle school pastor. One of the biggest things I see creep into the church and young people is apathy. And it's not something I'm accusing anyone of, but I'm even saying in my own heart, I've seen apathy. Just this idea of kind of like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to go crazy. I don't want to read my Bible too much or pray too much. I've got my own things I've got to worry about. I've got my own things on my plate. This lack of passion for the Lord, I see it in my own life at times, and I definitely see it in the lives of young people. And so I'm trying to encourage you guys to fight against it because right now we live in like this age that's basically, it's a couple things. It's an age that's allergic to truth. People don't like truth. Uh, people, don't, people don't like to be told that there's right and wrong. We live in an age that does not want to define any sort of moral standing. You'll look in the world and you'll see people don't want to say this is right and this is wrong. And we also live in an age that hates all authority. And I'm sure you guys have seen that. 
in your own life, I mean, does anyone like authority? When you're at school and you're having fun with your friends and like some authority figure comes in and says, hey, you stupid kids, knock that off. Like, is that, it, no, no one likes that. And, and, and we grow up from an early age hating authority because we want freedom and independence. We also live in a narcissistic age. And that is an age that's basically like defined by self-obsession. Um, has anyone here ever heard the story of narcissists? Anybody in Greek mythology? Okay, so Narcissus, this is Greek mythology, so it's not true. He was a boy who was obsessed with himself. He was a beautiful hunter with long flowing hair, probably a good tan. And he became so prideful that he mistreated his friends and family because he thought he was better than everyone else around him. He loved himself the most. So Nemesis, which was a Greek justice god, led him to a pool of water and said, hey, look, in that pool of water, you'll see something really cool. So he looks in the water and in his reflection, he sees himself. And he goes, that's awesome. And he stares and stares and stares until he dies. And that's the story of narcissists. But we can relate that to our image-obsessed culture because what do we look at the most? If we were to scroll through any of our phones, who would be, like, what picture of what person would be the most in our photo roll? Our own. We're, 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 the, selfie, we're the selfie generation. We're, we're self-obsessed. And, and, and you know what? It goes all the way up to like the top levels of our celebrities and government, all the way down to the cell phones of every single one of us. Because of our narcissism, our greatest anxiety is worrying about how other people see us. And this creates a fear around witnessing, a fear around sharing the gospel, because we believe that like modern, sensible people would never believe what we believe. And we were so embarrassed about our faith at times. I remember when I was your guys' age, I went to Calvary Christian School. Anytime any of my friends who didn't go to Calvary asked me what school I went to, I was like, uh, it's just, you know, this little school in Vista. I, I didn't want to say the words Calvary Christian School because I was embarrassed to say the word Christian. And, and you know what? If we're honest with ourselves, one of the reasons that we are so apprehensive about sharing our faith is because honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, what we believe sometimes sounds crazy. Like the Christian faith, like if you haven't grown up in it, like if you just walk up to someone, you're like, yeah, I believe in one God, but he's like three persons and he sent his son down from heaven to like die for humanity. Like that sounds crazy to someone who's never heard it. But here's the reality. You do believe it. You're here on a Wednesday night because you believe it. No one is making you come to this. I mean, like, hopefully no one's making you come to this. I know on Sunday, people are maybe making some of you come to it. But maybe here on Wednesday, hopefully you're here by your own choice because you believe the Bible is true. You believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and that he loved the world so much that he risked everything to come to earth and live this perfect life and love everyone, and touch everyone with the good news, and, and feed the hungry, and raise people from the dead, and just be the most epic human that could ever live. You believe in a God that parted the Red Sea. You believe in a God who created the world, just using his own breath. You believe in all of this stuff. And, and if you think about it, everything I said is kind of crazy, but that's the kind of God that we believe in. It's a God who is full of this crazy love. He loves us in a crazy way. So the question is, if it's crazy, why do we believe it? What causes us to believe? Well, honestly, guys, it's not just intellect that causes you to believe. It's God's spirit that enables you to believe. Because you have the Holy Spirit, it opens up your eyes to be able to believe in what God has to say. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. If you're not a Christian and you hear about the cross, you're like, what is that? But it is the power to those who are being saved. You know what, honestly, like, you know, uh, me and Scott and 
Becca and Brooklyn, or not Becca, uh, Rebecca and Brooklyn, and um, just so many of us have been around a long time with this group. Our hearts break a lot of times because we see people come through this group, you know, people who, you know, were in junior high, super innocent, you know, just, you know, sweet kids, and then they grow up and they start to drift. You know, the, the, the reality of the Christian faith is we're always in danger of drifting. If you're in the ocean surfing, you're always in danger of drifting. Being a Christian, you are always in danger of giving into your own doubts and sins and temptations and drifting away from the Lord. I've seen so many people who used to be a part of this group, you know, and I've been a part of this group for 12 years now, starting as a volunteer and then going into pastoring. And then even before that, I was a kid in this group. So I've seen so many people who are part of this group who drifted away from the Lord, people who believe in Jesus and they believe in the Holy Spirit. If you ask them, you know, even though they're living in sin right now, do you believe in Jesus? They would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But the reality is they don't believe that Jesus is enough. And what they're saying is, you know, I want a taste of the world. I want to see what the world can bring me, what, what happiness the world can show me. And the reality is it's because they're unhappy in their lives. But instead of turning to Jesus, who is the source of happiness, and realizing their unhappiness is the result of sin that still needs to be removed from Jesus, they, they cannot remove it until they submit in their life to him. And instead, they chase after the world thinking, this is what I need to fix the hole in my heart. And it's so sad because Jesus is standing right there saying, you already have everything you need in me. If you would just take a look, I can fix the hole in your heart. And it's been, it's been discouraging to see some people walk away because I love them so much. But you know what? I've also seen so many people return. That's the good news. I've seen so many people in the years who've walked away from this group. There was one guy I remember who literally called me. Um, this is years ago. And he was like, he told me that he was selling drugs, just doing his own thing, like just going off crazy. The last time I saw him, he was in junior high. And then he, literally, he, I didn't see him for like five years. And he called me out of the blue and he was like, Aaron, I was literally drunk and high, out of my mind, lying on the ground in like my own throw up, just my own vomit. And he was like, I was crying because I felt so empty. And in that moment, everything that you and the other counselors told me back when I was in middle school just came flooding back to my heart. And I realized that it was God that loves me and God had been loving me and seeking me this entire time and I gave my life to him. And I was just, I see that kind of stuff happen all the time. So I always have hope when I see our friends who are part of this group go off and do their own thing for a time. I, I have hope that Jesus is drawing them back. And you know what? I'm praying that all of you guys here in this circle, I know what the statistics are. You know, it's like 70% of teenagers in youth group like don't stay Christians. But you know what? I, I have a hope for you guys that you won't be a part of that statistic, that you will be people who stay faithful to Jesus in your life. You know what? Um, in, in Peter's message that we just read, Peter's preaching to people in his age. That's why he uses like a bunch of Old Testament symbolism. That's why he talks about David. David, it was really important. He was like the King Arthur of Israel. You know, they, they looked at him. He was like their Abraham Lincoln, basically, if we're gonna compare it to our culture. Um, but underneath all his preaching techniques, it's just the simple message of the gospel. That's all it is. Peter is just preaching the simple message of the gospel, which is Jesus lived, died for us, and rose again. And so, you know, I'm not preaching in Peter's age. I'm preaching, it's, it's weird to be preaching a sermon on a sermon. That's really what I'm doing. Peter preached a sermon and now I'm preaching a sermon on the sermon. Um, but I'm preaching to our age right now, which is a narcissistic age. Like I said, we, we hate authority. We don't like saying there's absolute truth. We like things to be a little bit more gray. You know, here's the reality, guys. And I'm telling you this and I'm not, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence or like say that you guys are like, 
heathens. I'm just talking to like myself and all of us. We live in an age where literally, even though we have good parents, a lot of us, even though we have good friends, when we turn on the TV, when we get on Instagram, when we listen to anything connected to the world at large, whether it's movies or music or anything like that, and I'm not saying you should not watch movies or listen to music, but what I'm saying is when we when we buy into any part of the worldly culture, we're hearing a voice that is telling us that there is no truth, that there is like no right or wrong. It's just do whatever you feel. That's the message that is pumping into our minds most of the time. And to that, I would say, listen, we need to understand that just because we live in an age that is allergic to truth and authority does not mean that we can change the fact that Jesus is the truth and authority already. Like we can deny the existence of gravity, but it still doesn't change the fact that gravity exists. And you will fall off the side of a building if you fall off the edge. Like you will give in to the forces of gravity. Even if the whole way you're falling down, you're saying gravity doesn't exist, you're still going to feel the effects of it. And you know what? The, the problem, honestly, with the church at large today, guys, is that we've kind of moved away from the simplicity of the gospel and Jesus's love for us. We've moved away from that. You know, um, at the men's retreat, I, I really, how many, were any of you guys at the men's retreat? I know you were there, Bradley. And then anybody else? No. So it's just me and, me and Bradley. Um, I didn't even hang out with you, Bradley. I'm so sorry. You were like, you were in the row ahead of me, hanging out with like your dad and other people. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, Bradley, I don't know if you'd agree, but at the men's retreat, there was a few moments where I saw like this beautiful simplicity. Um, there was a time in the men's retreat where like the preacher was preaching and he asked all of us to like get on our knees as we like prayed to the Lord. And I honestly have not been on my knees praying in a long time. I, I pray when I go out and walk. Um, I'm kind of honestly like one of those people like where I don't like traditions and I don't like it when people make it seem like something's more spiritual than something else. Like when someone's like, oh, like get on your knees and pray. I'm like, well, what's wrong with just walking? Like Jesus never said I have to get on my knees and pray. Like I'm just, I don't know. I don't like tradition. But this guy was like, get on your knees. So I got on my knees and the whole time I was praying, I was like, this is great, but my knees really hurt and I want to get up. Um, but I, I loved watching all these guys, like the dads of, you know, a lot of you guys on their knees praying. I thought it was so simple and so sweet. There was another guy, um, remember Chet was teaching and he was, uh, Chet Lowe, yeah. And he was going through the message and he got to the song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And he made us on the O part, like all the men, he made them go, bless the Lord, oh, and like yell out O really loud. And it was really awkward and weird. And um, I don't know if you did it, but like, yeah, me, Jake, Randall, and uh, Pete Denham were like too cool to do it. I felt so bad. I was like, I feel like such a millennial right now. Um, but you know what? It was, it was this real beautiful reminder about passion and like childlike love for God. I was watching all these grown men just like singing their hearts out and super loud and super crazy. And I was like, that's, that's amazing. And it, it kind of reminded me of like as a kid, this like simplicity that I had for the gospel and for Jesus. Like when I was a little kid, my mom was telling me this the other day. I don't have a good memory, but my mom told me that when I was a little kid, I would like literally everywhere I went, you know, this is like age two, three, four. I would just be like, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I was so like on fire about the gospel as a little kid. I'd be like sitting in my little booster seat at the grocery store asking people in the checkout line, do you know Jesus? And, and you know what? Like that's, that's not what I do anymore. I mean, I definitely don't sit in booster seats anymore at the grocery store, but um, I'm not constantly asking every single person I meet, do you know Jesus? And I wonder... If I was as brave now as I was when I was a little kid, like how many people would I have helped lead to the Lord at this point in my life? If I would have stayed that brave. 
and, and I'm, I'm looking at myself as a little kid, and my, my little kid self is challenging me to be braver now. You know, honestly, guys, I've been praying a lot about this group, and I really, in my heart, I want to see us as a group returning to a passion for, like, witness and evangelism. But I wanted to go to the next level because when we did it in the past, our focus was always on street witnessing, which was great because I really feel like for a lot of you guys at that young age of junior high, going out street witnessing really built up your faith because we did see people get saved. Um, we saw one guy named Hagen get saved who like came to camp with us for two years, which was amazing. I still talk to him and uh, you know he still loves Jesus, which is amazing. Um, but you know, I think now the thing the Lord really wants us to do is he wants us as a community of Christ followers to preach the gospel to our friends and family and schoolmates, the people around us that we see every day, which I know can be a little bit more intimidating. Um, there was a woman who came to church the other day. She Sometimes at church, we get these things called walk-ins where people come in and they want to talk to a pastor. So I get the phone call in my office. There's someone here who needs to talk to a pastor. So I go up to this lady. I was expecting kind of like a crazy homeless person because that's like 95% of the time like what it is, which is awesome. We feed them and we pray for them and try to help them. But this lady was this awesome lady in our church, this older lady, and she wanted to pray because she's like, I want boldness to witness. She's like, I've never shared my faith. I want to do it. She was asking for help. And I thought that was so cool that she came and she was like, she's like, I'm scared, but I want to be brave and share the gospel. So we talked about Peter. And we talked about this chapter when he gets up and preaches. And we were just talking about how, you know, it's amazing to see that Peter has no confidence in himself, but he has confidence in the one he's preaching about. He has confidence in the one who gave him the ability to preach the gospel, which is Jesus. Um, I don't, Kaylee, I don't want to embarrass you, but um, I, I just remember this really cute thing that happened when you were like a little kid uh, in junior high. I think you were like seventh grade or something. But you Facebook messaged me, and you're like, Pastor, and I need help. And I was like, what's going on? And you're like, I'm having a sleepover, and I want to, like, share Jesus with my friends. Like, tell me how to do it. And we, like, we went over, like, a little lesson plan, and you were, you were like, going to do a Bible study. I thought that was so cool. And it just reminded me of my own faith, you know, when I was younger. But I think for all of us, when we grow into adulthood, we face this fear. And it, how many of you guys, you know, you remember that, that parable of the the sower, remember, and he throws out the seed and, and it falls in the different ground. Remember the, the weeds? What were the weeds? The weeds were the cares of the world. And, and they grow and it's, it's all these thoughts about, man, if I follow the Lord, I'm not gonna look cool. If I follow the Lord, I'm gonna get rejected. If I tell people about Jesus, it's gonna be really hard. And it's like these weeds choke us and keep us from fully living the, our life for the Lord. And it leads us to ignoring what really matters, which is spreading the gospel. I heard this crazy true story about basically there was these two girls who were Christians. They went to Christian homes and they ended up in this public like K through 12 school. And so they literally were girls who sat next to each other every day from kindergarten to like senior year in most of their classes because they were in like an alphabetical order system. So like for years, like probably like, you know, when they're in elementary school, they start, they're both Christians but they don't know it. And they're, they're, they're thinking, I should share Jesus with her. And they just keep putting it off. I'm too scared, I'm too scared. And they get to their senior year, and they're about to graduate. And one girl's like, hey, um, you know, I really have been feeling like I should share Jesus with you. Like, can I tell you about Jesus? And the other girl's like, you're a Christian? I thought, I, I'm a Christian too. For, for 
they, they had never shared with anybody. Like that was the first person that God told them to share with and they put it off from K to 12 and they missed all the other opportunities the Lord had because they were too scared to even share with the person they sit next to every day at school. And, and to think like, what a missed opportunity. Guys, the, the cure, honestly, for this kind of mentality is realizing Jesus is the one who can give us the power to share our faith. Just look at Peter, okay? Look at the guy preaching the message. Peter, like, okay, remember that scene where Jesus is walking on water? This is back in the Gospels. The disciples are out on the boat, and Jesus comes walking in the water, and they're freaking out because they're like, oh, you look like a ghost, Jesus. But Peter realizes it's Jesus, and he steps out of the boat in faith, but he's also the guy who sinks, right? He sinks down after stepping out of the boat. But Peter was the guy who knew in his heart for the rest of his life that the only reason he didn't drown was because he reached out and grabbed the hand of Jesus, the only one who could save him. You see, Peter was able to step out of that boat because of the power of Jesus, not because of his own abilities. Peter didn't take a water walking class. The only reason he was able to step on that water was because of Jesus. And the only reason he was saved when he fell was because of Jesus. Guys, that's the Christian life. We step out in faith. Sometimes it goes great. Sometimes we sink. And then we grab Jesus' hand. We get up and we keep going. But it's all through the power of Jesus and not our own power. The life of a Christian should absolutely be one about witness. But guys, the pressure is not on us to save anybody. Being a witness is not about being like a brilliant communicator or having, you know, your argument totally solidified. I remember this one time, um, you know, Brooklyn, uh, we, were, we were a lot younger and I can't remember if we were in Bible college or if we'd just gotten married, but she told me this story about this one time that she ran into a group of Muslims and, uh, you know, they were like, they weren't like terrorists or anything. They were like peaceful Muslims, but we, she was hanging out and she started talking to them and she felt like she was led to share the Lord with them. But as she was talking to them, they started asking her all these questions that she didn't know the answers to. And she left feeling really discouraged because she didn't know how to answer their questions. And maybe you've been in that situation. Like, I know I have. Like, you know, a situation where you're sharing the gospel with someone and then they're asking questions and you don't know the answer and then you feel like a failure. When we get into these kind of situations, it kind of leaves a bad taste in our mouth and it makes us afraid to share because we think, what if I share the gospel with somebody, but then I don't have the answers and I look stupid? Well, I would say this to my sweet wife and to any of you now who've been there. It's good to learn and study how to defend your faith. It's good to have the answers to questions, but you guys need to know that you simply believing and showing that belief has a supernatural impact. God can use the most uneducated and unprepared Christ follower to help lead the lost into the kingdom. You need to realize that just when you go and you share your faith, even if you're unprepared, even if they're asking you questions and you're stumped and you don't know what to say, you have something different than a, what a Muslim or a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or any of those other faiths have on their side. You have truth. You believe in something that is actually true. And that's not to diss anybody who believes in a religion that's not Christianity. That's not to put them down or say that they're stupid. I would never say that. But I would say that they're caught up in a deception. They're caught up in a lie that Satan is telling. And we as Christians have the truth. And we don't say that pridefully. We say that as someone where, let's say everyone was dying of a disease and other people were trying medicines that weren't working, but we had the one medicine that actually works. It's not a pride thing. It's we love people so much, we don't want them to take the medicine that will kill them. We want them to take the medicine that will actually save them. 
When we share the gospel, there's power behind it because it's truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is not just that Jesus died, but listen, the truth is that by the Holy Spirit, God has been drawing people to himself. I was talking to my friend, Alan Kahn. This is amazing. He's a youth pastor in New Jersey. And he was praying and he's like, God, bring me somebody who needs to hear about you. So Alan goes rock climbing all the time. So he's rock climbing and there's this young guy, probably about you know uh, 19 years old, who's rock climbing next to him. And the guy turns to him and he's like, hey, do you have any life advice for me? Just out of nowhere, so random. And then Alan's like, yeah, sure. And he tells him about Jesus. And he's like, okay. Next week he comes back. And the guy's like, hey, uh, can you tell me more about Jesus? So Alan tells him more. The next week he comes back and the guy's like, hey, um, I got a Bible. What should I do? Should I read it? Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, Alan didn't go and seek this guy. This guy came to him. And it's because God was already working on this guy's heart and Alan was just in the right place at the right time. And when it was time to step up and share his faith, he did it. Think about, think about Peter. Was it a crazy intellectual argument that won Peter to Jesus? No, it was Jesus showing up in the middle of his fishing session and saying, hey, follow me. It's not up to us to save people, guys. Our job is to introduce people to the Savior. And honestly, nine out of 10 times, people will reject that. If you go and you tell you know, nine, if you tell 10 people about Jesus, and the reality is nine of them will probably say, I don't want anything to do with that. But it's that one out of 10 person that actually responds to the gospel that makes all the difference. It's worth the struggle. It's worth being rejected nine times for that one person to receive the Lord. Look at verse 37 if you have your Bibles, okay? At the end of Peter's message, after Peter preaches the gospel, it says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what should we do? Like they hear this message and it's not even a long message. It's not like, like I'm teaching kind of a you know, long, normal size message tonight. Peter, honestly, you can get through his message in about two minutes. I don't know how long it took him to preach it, but it was really short. He just literally gets up and he talks about the prophet Joel. He talks about David. He talks about Jesus. And he's like, what do you guys want to do? You want to receive the Lord? And 3,000 people are like, I'm so convicted right now. Oh my gosh, I need Jesus. It's amazing. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been pierced to the heart? Have you ever been sitting in a message and you know it doesn't matter who's teaching, but you're just sitting there and the words that are coming out of the person's mouth because the Holy Spirit is behind them, you're sitting there and you're like, this is exactly what I need to hear right now. I'm pierced to the heart. There was this debate once by this Christian theology guy, John Lennox, and then Christopher, Christopher Hitchens. Uh, Christopher Hitchens is like this really outspoken atheist. Very, he's super charming, really British. Because, um, you know, if you have an English accent, you're like super charming. Um, <clears throat> and he debated, they debated about Christianity. And at the end of the debate, Christopher Hitchens, the atheist, actually admitted that he lost the debate. <clears throat> he stands up and he's like, John Lennox was right. Like, I, he, he won this time. So the Christian won in that debate, but you know what? No one in that audience stood up and said, what should I do to be saved? They all just went away. And the reality is, Hitchens, the atheist, still left an atheist. I just, I really want you guys to hear this. It's not intellect or ability that saves anyone. You can be the most brilliant Christian speaker that has ever existed, but it's not intellect or ability that can actually change hearts. It's the Holy Spirit of God 
moving in people's hearts and then opening up their hearts to hear the good news and letting down their defenses to accept it. Think about what Jesus said during his first message. Uh, Jesus is at the Jewish church, the synagogue, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he says, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to give eyesight to the blind. That's what Jesus does. He breaks the chains off of captives and he sets the blind free of their blindness. He brings them into sight. There's so many people in your schools who are captive to their sin, who just need Jesus to open up their eyes. You might be the person who brings your friend to the doctor, but it's still the doctor that heals them. Like I was 16 once and I led a person at a bowling alley to the Lord. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I did that. Like I led that guy to the Lord, I'm amazing. Like literally, I, I, I was so stupid and prideful. Because the reality was, I didn't lead anyone to the Lord. I just introduced them to the Lord. I didn't save anybody. It was Jesus who did the saving. I couldn't take the credit. How many of you guys have ever introduced somebody to someone? Raise your hand if you've introduced someone. Is, was it hard to introduce? Was it really? No. no? Yeah, you're just like, hey, this is my friend Jeff. Jeff meets Susie. Like, that's, that's what it is. Hey, Susan, Susie, let me... Let me tell you about Jeff. He's amazing. He's a great football player. He's awesome. You should totally date him, you know? Just <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Um, once you introduce somebody, the introduction has now been made, and now Jeff is able to be friends with Susan and speak into her life. For some of you guys here, listen, God has called, he's been calling you. He's been calling you to be a witness, and you're so scared because you don't feel like you have the ability to preach a message, but maybe all that God is asking you to do is simply step out in obedience and introduce someone to him. It could be as simple as you giving them a verse. Just a little piece of paper. Hey, I really think this would speak to you. It could be as simple as you texting them a video about Jesus. My gosh, nowadays we have literally the greatest resources. We have the Bible Project. We have all these great YouTube videos that literally explain the story of the Bible better than we ever could. You could text that to somebody and it could change their life. You could invite someone to come to youth group. You could simply tell them if they're stressed, you know, hey, you're, you see somebody and literally they're stressed out or they're alone sitting at the lunch tables and you could go up and just say, hey, I just want you to know, Jesus loves you so much. Some people have never even heard that before or they've only heard it from like their parents or like their pastors. So it's not real to them, but if they heard it from you, a friend, someone at their school up here, you could literally help open up their eyes if, if you show them that you have enough faith in Jesus that you would talk about him openly, that makes a huge statement that you take Jesus seriously and he might be somebody worth looking into. And I'm gonna be like brutally honest here. Our problem here in this youth group is that all of you come here wanting me to minister to you and the counselors to minister to you when you miss the reality that God wants you and I to minister to the world. That's not what this is about. It's not about you coming here to be ministered to. It's about us as disciples getting filled up to go out and minister to everyone around us. And please know, I like love ministering to you guys. I love it. Like anytime I'm able to pray for you or help you with something or, or, or just bless you in any way, like I am so filled with joy. But like what I'm waiting for is I'm waiting for the day when one of you steps up, comes to me and says, hey, I wanna reach my school for Jesus. Can you help? I wanna introduce my friends to Jesus, can you help? I wanna see revival in my town, can you help? I'm waiting for that day. Because one of the greatest things 
about the early church that we see is they had this urgency. They were like, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. And we need to live for him. When you look at Acts, when you look through the book, it's like Jesus was there. He died. He rose. He's like, I'm coming back soon. And they were like, oh my gosh, Jesus is coming back soon. We've got to go tell people. The problem is it's been 2,000 years since Jesus left. So for us now, we're like, yeah, he'll come back eventually. I've got time. I can live my life. I've got, you know, scholarships to worry about. I've got sports scholarships to worry about. I've got theater that I'm doing. I've, I've got soccer. I've, I've got a job that I'm working towards. I've got a career. Here's the, here's the reality. Just like blowing our lid off of the whole, like, you know, career thing. Um, careers are great. Like, in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. He gave Adam and Eve a job. That's a good thing but you can't center your life around a career because we are only on this earth for a short amount of time and then eternity is after this. If we live our life for the career, we're like, okay, we're, okay. when you're about to get on an airplane, where do you hang out before that? What's it called? The terminal. Okay, so when you're getting on an airplane, you wanna go to the destination, that's the goal. Can you imagine if you met someone who was obsessed with the terminal? Who was like, I need to make this terminal experience the best experience ever. They're like going to every snack bar, buying all the snacks. They're buying like a million neck pillows. They're like building a house in the terminal. You'd be like, what is wrong with you? This is the terminal. The reality is this life is the terminal, okay? And we have a very important job. Imagine this, life perspective change, okay? You're in the terminal, and the captain has given you a billion free tickets to the plane. And that plane is going to the best place ever. And he says, listen, if people stay in this airport, they're gonna die. Like there's gonna be a crazy earthquake that's gonna wipe everyone out. Give them tickets. Like go and tell everyone, get on that plane, there's room. There's so much room. What if we spent our time just living for that terminal? That would be so sad. I'm not saying don't go to college. I'm not saying don't get a job. I'm saying send your life around Jesus and go to the college he wants you to or don't go to college if he tells you not to go to college. If your parents get mad I said that, you can send them to me because I, re- I didn't go to college because Jesus told me not to because he had other plans for me. I have other friends that Jesus sent to college for a very specific purpose because there was people he wanted them to reach there and he was preparing them for a job that would open up doors for them to use their influence to spread the gospel. Everything is about Jesus. This life is about Jesus. Anything else is just, it's living for the terminal. So here's the thing. A lot of times, like when it comes to sharing the gospel, we chicken out because we feel like we don't have a testimony. And I don't know if you guys ever feel that way. Like you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not like a prostitute or a drug dealer. Like I don't have some crazy, or like a prostituting drug dealer. Like I don't have any crazy testimony. Listen, it's really dumb to think that way and I say that as somebody who's thought that way a lot of times because I was a Christian kid who grew up in a Christian home. Just because you were born into a story doesn't mean that you can't share it. I've seen people talk about their parents' history. I've seen people be like, oh, let me tell you about my parents and all the crazy stuff that happened in their past. I've seen people talk about their country's history. Oh, I love America. Let me tell you about America's history. I've seen people talk about weird health conditions that they were born with. Like, even like, hey, check out my birthmark. Like, I, if, <laughs> listen. If you're born into the Christian faith, that doesn't mean that you don't have a testimony. Your story is the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is your testimony, and it's a crazy story. And it's, it's your story. Learn it. 
learn how to sit down with someone and share the story of Jesus. Find out what happened in your family before you were born that led your family members to the Lord. Talk to your mom and dad and be like, what changed about you? What was different about you before you met Jesus? That's a story that you can share. And you know what? You guys have evidence of what Jesus has done in your life. You really do. Guys, our job as a church is to show people the difference that Jesus makes. Do you guys understand that like the point of this group is not just to like learn moral lessons? My job is not to teach you guys right from wrong. My job is to introduce you to the one who can show you what is right and free you from what is wrong, which is Jesus. This group should never be about information. It should always be about transformation. But Jesus can't transform you if you won't open up your heart to the working power of the Spirit. Now, in the message um, that Peter shared, the, what he says over and over again, he says this phrase, did anyone catch it? What's the phrase he said over and over again? Anybody? It's, it's this Jesus. He says it over and over again, this Jesus. Why? Because he's trying to show them, he's not like, oh, that Jesus who died. He's like, no, this Jesus who's alive with us in this room. And I say that to you right now. Jesus, this Jesus, he is sitting in this room with us. He's invisible, yes, but he is with us and he loves every single one of you. And Peter's trying to draw their attention to this story. Back in the day, Jesus was a celebrity. If they had newspapers back then, Jesus would be on the front page everywhere. He was the God who was with them, the God who came down from heaven, not just some distant God, but a God who became flesh and lived with people. Did you guys know that Jesus is actually going to live with us in heaven as a human? He's not gonna like fully return to like God mode. Jesus is actually going to be the God-man in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible actually teaches that Jesus loves humanity so much that he became a human forever, which is insane. Like if, if I, like if, if dogs had to like pay for their sin and I could save them if, by becoming a dog, I like would not want to stay a dog forever. Like, you know, Jesus was God and he became a man and he wants to stay a man forever because he wants to be with you. Like when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to hug Jesus and walk next to him. How amazing is that? You know, some of you guys here tonight, like you probably think of God in a detached way. Like maybe you love this group, you love the community, but you think of God in a detached, distant way. You're like, yeah, I know he exists, you know, but I don't think of him as a personal God. I don't think of him as present in my life, watching over me, with me every step of the way. Maybe for some of you guys, it's kind of a reflection or projection of how you feel about your own parents. You know they exist, but they're not very involved in your life. For some of you, you believe in God, but you don't think of him as someone who is personally interested in your life or somebody who is taking time to understand who you are, including all of your brokenness. This is the reality, guys, for all of us. Brokenness is a huge part of who we are. It's the part that we hide. It's the part of us that we keep inside, the part that we don't really tell others about. We, we carry around guilt and shame. We know the things that we've done behind closed doors when no one was watching. We know the things we allow ourselves to think in our head about other people, the jealousy, the anger, lust, bitterness, hatred. We hide these things inside and we think, God can't possibly want to get anywhere near the mess that is me. And I think every one of us feels an intense pressure on our life that we could be better. And I don't know if that's coaches or parents or teachers that make you feel that way. But listen, this is exactly why the character of Jesus is so exciting. Because he's, you know, he's a man. He's the kind of man I've always wanted to be. He's a man who doesn't sin, a man who loves perfectly, a man who forgives unconditionally, a man who is patient infinitely, 
He's perfect in every way, and here's the crazy thing. If Jesus was just some perfect man, and that's all there was to it, I would just be, like, jealous of him. I'd be like, oh, Jesus, like, you're so perfect. I could never be like you. That's how I felt about uh, when I was a guy growing up and I had crushes on girls. They always liked guys who were, like, better than me in every way, guys who looked better, um, guys who were, like, either an upperclassman or guys who were surfers or skaters, and I just was not that guy. So I just felt defeated all the time because I knew no matter how hard I tried, I could never be that guy. And with Jesus, we look at him, we're like, you're the perfect man, Jesus, I can never be like you. But then Jesus turns around and he says, follow me, and as you do, I will make me more, I will make you more like me. How many of you guys are athletes? Okay, so if you're an athlete, and I'm going to be careful with this because the last time I tried to make an athletic reference, I called <laughs> Steph Curry Stephen Curry, and I apologize for that. When Michael Jordan left the NBA, I left sports, and that was in the 90s. So anyway, um, <laughs> But uh, listen, fill in the blank, whatever athlete you think is amazing, what if that athlete came to you and was like, hey, hang out with me, and as you do, you will become more like me, and you will master the sport. How many of you guys would like reject that offer? Be like, no thanks, I'm good. Like, if they're like, you, would, you will literally become good enough to make millions of dollars playing the sport as good as I play it if you just hang out with me a couple times a week and get lunch and we'll talk. Like, I will pass my greatness to you through osmosis. You would be crazy. You would be crazy to turn that down. Did I say it wrong? No? Uh, osmosis? Anyway, that's what Jesus does. Jesus says, spend time with me. Listen to my voice. Follow my instructions, and you will become more like me. Why the heck do we treat that as something so secondary in our lives? As I start kind of winding the message down, I want you to really consider something. Peter says this in verse 22. He says, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him just as you yourselves know. He was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, and you used lawless people to nail him to the cross and kill him. Guys, do you realize, have you ever thought about how Jesus made such a huge sacrifice by becoming human? Listen to this. By doing so, he didn't just identify himself with our humanity. Listen, he identified himself with our sin. Jesus identified himself with our sin. You might think, what the heck are you talking about, Aaron? Listen, Jesus never sinned, but Jesus allowed himself to be seen as a sinner. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus, Jesus allowed himself for people to look at him and think, what a sinner. If you're somebody in Israel and you see someone arrested, put on trial, and crucified by the Jewish religious authorities, are you going to think they're innocent? No. You're going to look at that guy on the cross and say, well, of course he's on the cross. He was a sinner. The, the priests, my pastors, they arrested him. Like, what a sinner. Jesus allowed himself to be identified with our sin. Do you know what they said about Jesus as a child? They said he was the son of of a mother who slept around with other men. Because Joseph was like, I'm not the dad. It wasn't me. Jesus knew the truth. He knew that it was the Holy Spirit that conceived that baby. But man, the people in the town didn't know that. Think about the shame for Jesus as a young person to have your mom constantly be called horrible names by the kids at your school. From like Jesus' earliest age, as a young child, he was identified as a child who was born out of sin. People thought Jesus was a mistake. 
And as he grew older, he lived a literally perfect life, but that did not stop people from spreading rumors about Jesus. They said he was a liar. They said he hated God. They said he was trying to take the place of God. Do you realize that? They, they looked at Jesus like he was a heretic, like some guy who came into church and just started cussing out everybody. That's what they thought Jesus was. They're like, he says he's God. He's insane. He called himself the son of God, which was true. But to many people, they looked at Jesus and said, what a creep, what a horrible person. Did you know that the pastors of his day said the reason that Jesus could heal people was because he had demons? because he was satanic. That's what Jesus had to go through. They said his power came from the devil. I wonder how many nights Jesus like cried himself to sleep because of the pain. Like the pain of coming to people because you love them and instead watching them spit in your face and cast you out and reject you. I mean, how horrible would it be to come into our living room one day and have our family say, we hate you and we wish that you were dead. That's the pain that Jesus suffered every day that he walked this earth. I think many nights Jesus was probably not able to sleep because of all the emotion and pain inside of him. For any of you guys that struggle with fear and anxiety or pain and sadness, you need to know that Jesus was called a man of constant sorrow. He allowed himself to become human and go through all these emotional struggles that you and I go through because he loved us enough to do it. And when Jesus hung on the cross, they put a sign above his head that said, here's the king of the Jews. That was a sign that was making fun of him. It said, basically, this guy's a sinner. He lied and said he was the king of the Jews. Think about your worst sin. Like right now, just take a minute, just, just think about the worst thing that you've done, the thing that you're the least bit proud of. Imagine if you had to walk around school with a sign hanging around your neck that just detailed your worst sin. Imagine the shame of that. That's the shame that Jesus felt when he hung on the cross for our sins. That sign over his head. When Jesus was baptized, it said the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and took the form of a dove, and it landed on Jesus' shoulders, and he heard a voice that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God knew that Jesus was about to go through all of these horrible things, and yet he was pleased in Jesus. He was like, this is my son, and I'm so excited that he's willing to come down as a man and be identified in the gutter with sin, even though Jesus would never sin. Imagine walking around school instead with a sign around your neck, but it's not your sins, but it's the sins of other people in your school. But you're taking the blame for it so that they can go away free. Imagine the shame of that, of just having, I mean, you guys know there's people in your schools who are sinners. Like, imagine having their sins listed on your sign. Jesus did that for us. When he hung on the cross, he took the blame for everything that we've ever done. Jesus showed people that God was not some distant God who didn't understand them. He's a God who cares. And when I witnessed to those 15 kids in Limerick, they said, you know, this is in Ireland. They said, we've never met a Christian who is kind until we met you and your wife. We've never met a Christian who's not judgmental. Every Christian we met told us that we were scumbags and we were going to hell. We've never met a Christian that told us there's a way to get to heaven and a savior from sin. Guys, there's people all around you that are so guilty like they're walking around your schools so guilty about the things that they've done, even though they'd probably never tell you that, even though they just act like their sins are no big deal, I truly believe that deep down, everyone carries the weight and guilt of their own sin. And we think if people really know who I was on the inside, if people truly saw everything I've done, no one would understand me and everyone would hate me. And Jesus says from the cross, I understand. 
I knew everything you would ever do before you even did it, and I still died for you because I love you that much. Jesus says, I understand what sin has done to you. I understand that sin has broken you. I understand so much that I came and put myself in your place so that you could understand how loved you really are. God understands your sin more than you do even yourself because he has seen every sin you will commit, even the ones in the future, and he paid the price for them. This is good news. And guys, my question is just, are we sharing it? We have the cure for the cancer that's killing the world. Are we sharing it? Here's a few questions just to end tonight. One, do you believe in heaven and hell? And two, do you care about where the people around you will go? Do you believe that Jesus can change people's lives? And if so, who are you actively trying to introduce to him? Can you think of anyone in your life right now that you are working on? You're talking to them, you're communicating, you're building a relationship with that kid who sits alone at the lunch tables and no one talks to them. Are you building a friendship because you are working up to show them the love of Jesus? I, I was talking to a friend um, you know, a few years ago in the youth group and I was like, you know, what can we do to get you know, more people to come to the group? And he was like, oh, what if you gave out cash prizes to all the, you know, any kid in the youth group that brought friends? You know, whoever brings the most friends, get cash prizes. And when I heard that, I was like, you know, I don't know. Should we need cash prize motivation for sharing the gospel? I think that just, that kind of thinking just kind of shows the immaturity of youth ministry. Like this isn't a daycare center. It's a community of Christ followers. Our reward should be seeing people's lives change. Um, There's a guy named Dwight Moody who was an evangelist and he was obsessed with sharing the gospel. It was his life's passion. He would ride a donkey around Chicago handing out candy to inviting kids to church. Don't do that now, you'll get arrested. <laughs> Don't ride a donkey around Chicago and pass out candy. You'll definitely get arrested. But, um, but what, are we, what are we doing? What's our, what is our strategy? If it's not a donkey and candy, how are we showing people in our schools, in our life, the truth? Just like, okay, confession. Um, when we had our concert night, it was beautiful. It was amazing. I was, I was so just, I was stoked on it. But I was a little sad that not very many people who didn't know the Lord came. Because at the beginning when I told us about this concert, I was like, I don't want this to be a concert for us. I want it to be for the lost to come and hear the good news. I know many of you guys invited people and they didn't come. It's hard. It's really difficult. And I'm sure many of you guys were uh, disappointed as well that you invited friends and they didn't come. But I was talking to my friend Alan, the guy who does the rock climbing, and he was sharing with me, and he's like, you know what, man? I think a lot of times when it comes to like trying to invite people to youth group, we do like a bait and switch. What that means is we're like, oh my gosh, come. That's actually, that's exactly how I planned the concert night, bait and switch. It's come to this concert and he'll hear people play. And then they show up and it's like, oh, we tricked you. Now Pete's gonna talk about Jesus for 45 minutes. You know what I mean? And that's kind of how we do it. It's like, come to this thing. And then we trick people. And um, Alan was telling me that in his youth group, the best success they've had in getting new people to come is to just be honest with people. Just be real and honest and just say, hey, I'd like to invite you to my youth group. We get together, hang out, eat pizza, and then this guy talks about Jesus for a bit. And it's really important to me, and, and it's been a part of changing my life, and it's helped me a ton. I think you'd love it. I think you'd enjoy it. Why don't you come? Nine out of 10 people that you invite that way probably won't come. But there's always gonna be that one person that God's been working on their heart. 
the Holy Spirit's been working on them and then they're gonna respond and they're gonna come and hear the good news and get saved. And that's how revival sparks. When Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved from one message. Jesus changed the world starting with 12 disciples. How many people are in this room? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. So we've got a few more people than the 12 disciples. If we got serious about reaching our community with Jesus, I wonder what would change. If, I mean, if, if we didn't just assume that every person we talked to already goes to North Coast, you know? If we went and we were like, maybe there's somebody here who doesn't go anywhere. And I don't know that kid. I've never met him. But I'm gonna go and I'm gonna just talk to him and be his friend and invite him. I wonder what would happen. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you so much, God, for the example of Peter, a fisherman who was a coward many, many times, God, just like me, scared to share his faith. But he was obedient and he did it. And God, you sparked revival throughout Israel through that. Jesus, I pray you would help us as a group to get serious about sharing our faith, to make it a priority, to not live our lives bedazzling the terminal and making our terminal experience the best but realizing, God, that the plane is gonna take off soon and there's still empty seats. God, help us to live our lives centered around one thing, which is the gospel. I pray that you lead us, God, to make decisions that are your kind of decisions, to plan futures for our life that are your plans and futures for our life, not our own, not our parents' plans and futures for our life. No matter how awesome our parents are, God, we need to be individuals who follow you. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be a group that reaches the community, not a group that comes here and says, this is for us, this is our youth group, it's for us to eat pizza and cookies and hang out and hear a message and get filled up and, and then leave with the warm fuzzies. But instead, help us to be a group that says, we need to get together so we can get filled up and get back out tomorrow on Thursday and reach people for Jesus. And we can't do that in our own spirit, just like Peter couldn't walk on water in his own spirit, God. We can only do it through your power and your spirit. So God, I pray that you would help us to leave today filled with your power and spirit, not feeling like we have to be amazing speakers or amazing arguers of the faith, but just give us a passion to share the simple gospel that we sing about, the simple truth of who you are. And I pray, God, that you would lead us. For anyone here, who wants this. If, if anyone here is sitting here and they're like, yes, I'm scared, but I want to share my faith. I want this. Help me. If there's anyone here who feels that way, God, I pray that you would help them to have divine appointments, which is where you bring them and they stumble on to somebody on their path at school or wherever they go. And it's this moment where they know in their heart, okay, God, you want me to speak now. I pray, God, if there's anyone here that is open to that, that you would give them those opportunities, and then when they get them, help them to be brave to take them. We love you, God, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.